it's a haunting verse, the words that Jesus spoke when He said, you search the Scriptures because in them you think, you think you have eternal life. And it is they that speak of Me, but you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. That's a frightening verse because it means there's the potential for a reality that someone can be just brim full of biblical knowledge. And, and they, can, they can be absolutely driven to study and learn more about God's Word. And I believe they could even have a lifestyle that is responsively changing in accord to what they understand Scripture to be about, and yet in all of that, somehow still fail to come to Jesus and thereby fail to have life. If we don't see Jesus when we open this Word, we miss the fullness of the value of God's revelation written for us. We miss the fullness of what it has to offer us, and we miss out on the substance of life that is transmitted to us through the written word. And if you look at in in the gospels how the Pharisees treated the word of God, how they came to the word of God and then how that played out in their life, you will find that unless you have a Christ-focused experience with the Word of God, meaning the Word of God brings you to the person of Jesus Christ, unless you have that, you will be knocked off course by unexpected winds. You will be overtaken by circumstantial waves of life. Without that Christ-centered focus from the Word of God, we are essentially in bondage to the circumstances around us. What is your relationship to life's circumstances? Are you uh, captured by them? Do you rise above them or are you crushed underneath them? I mean, if, if someone objectively looks at your life, what would they say your relationship to life's circumstances are? And how they would answer that question, how you would answer that question, probably reflects to some degree, maybe a great degree, what your relationship is to the Christ-focused Word of God. You know, last week I talked about, it was, it was, I think it was a positive message, and I started by just thinking, surely 2021 is going to be better than 2020, right? How could it get much worse? But then as the week went on, I thought, you know, that was kind of a maybe a foolish thing to say. We have no guarantee. 2020 may be the high point of the decade. We may, there may be time when we look back at 2020 and say, oh man, if only we had the days of 2020 again. We don't know what the world has in store for us. We've been living in this blessed little bubble of comfort and security for so long, but it's an odd thing in all of history to really experience that. And let's say that it does get worse. How are we going to handle it? You will not be prepared unless you have an acute focus on the God, on the Christ-centered Word of God. Uh, what, what were your expectations going into 2020? 
with the Lowry's had high expectations. 2020 was going to be our year. We were going to get off screens. We weren't going to spend nearly as much time on any kind of, you know, media, TV, stuff like that. We were going to get out more. Yeah, this, I think a lot of people had these kind of expectations going into 2020. But then what was the reality of 2020 for most people? What was that? Kind of, kind of a dumpster fire, really. We don't know what the future holds for us, but we do know this, that unless we are grounded in God's Word, God's Christ-centered Word, uh, we will be lost. We will be, um, we will be in bondage to our circumstances. Only by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus can you overcome any and all that life has to throw at you. And I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. I believe Luke chapter 24 and the story of these men that are on the road to Emmaus gives us a blueprint, if you will, of how do we keep our eyes on Jesus in everyday life. Practically speaking, how do we do it? So let's look at Luke chapter 24. Let's start in verse 13. That very day, two of them... Now, the very day, if you look back, this is the day of the resurrection. But they don't know it yet. They've gotten some information, but all they know is Jesus was dead, and then some new information has come. They don't know what to make of it. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So as we kind of follow this blueprint, We'll walk through this entire passage, but I notice first of all that if if we're going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we learn these men uh, get to that point where their eyes are fixed on Jesus, at, at a minimum, we must keep Jesus in our conversations. He needs to be a part of our conversations. Really, this first point is kind of laying the foundation for where we're going to go with this sermon, but put put yourself in their shoes. These were followers of Christ. You know, I always find it hard to really get, I used to, find it very difficult to get myself in that frame of mind of 
where the followers of Christ would have been after he died, but before they knew he was resurrected. Because we, we know the story so well. We have such a close relationship with Jesus. It's hard to imagine the feeling of loss. But then, you know, I lost my, my, my grandpa. I've lost all four of my grandparents. I've lost a pastor that was very close to me. But it wasn't until I lost my, my grandpa, the last big loss in my life, I remember distinctly coming away from the funeral home, going back out to his farmhouse, standing by the fire outside, and I just, I don't, I'd never felt it with anyone else that had passed away in my life, but I just felt this overwhelming sense of my grandpa being in a dark coffin underground by himself and feeling alone. And I know that that's not the reality. That's not the truth of what was happening. I know he was in heaven. I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that's what I was feeling in the moment. And it really disturbed me. It disturbed me because I knew it wasn't true. I, I just felt like my, my emotions were being hijacked. And I felt so bad for my grandpa, supposedly, alone in that coffin, in the dark, by himself. But since that time, I've come to learn, like, you know, that's how the disciples felt when Jesus died. They, they felt that darkness. They felt that loneliness. They felt like all their hopes had been buried in that tomb with Jesus. And that's how these men felt. And yet, even in that, their eyes were still fixed on Jesus, specifically in their conversation. And what was the content of their conversation. I think we can learn from their content of their conversation and model our conversations after it as well. And in this, uh, I've got a few points here in the content of their conversation. And I would say this is the aim of what we have small groups for in our church. You don't have to have a small group to have these kind of conversations. But if you're in a small group, you know you've got a devoted portion of your calendar to these kind of conversations. And one of the things that we see is they were just discussing the events that they experienced. We see it in verse 14. It says, as they, um, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And down in verse 18, he says, are you the only one that doesn't know about these things that have happened in these days? They were just talking about the events as they had transpired. And we need to have time like that where we're just talking about this is what's happening to me in my life, but... Notice also they interweave it with the details of the gospel. Not just the events that have ex uh, uh, transpired, but also the gospel details themselves. Verse 19, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how also his death and resurrection, the gospel truths, or his death anyway, how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. As we talk about our day, we have to know how to just blend in the truth of the gospel in these conversations that we have with fellow believers. The problem is a lot of Christians aren't used to even talking about the truths of the gospel. You've got to start. Start with someone that you're most comfortable with and just say, listen, this year, you, know, I'm not, you don't have to make a New Year's resolution, but say, we need to talk about Jesus a little more often this year. We need to talk about the gospel more frequently than we do. And we see these men talking about just the events that they experienced. We see them talking about the details of the gospel. Here's a hard one. We see them talking about their disappointment, their confusion, and their questions. In verse 21 it says, 
but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. This is a hard one that a lot of times people don't want to do in Christian conversation because it feels wrong to do it. And they, want, they don't want to be told, no, no, that's not right. And so they just harbor all their confusion in. They want to act, and instead, they're kind of forced by the pressure of other people to act like they got all the answers. It's healthy to discuss your confusion, your questions, your disappointments. You know, the Psalms model this for us very effectively. The Psalms put to words the emotions that maybe we would be too timid to express. And there's so many examples, but just listen to this and think, do you have the guts to share these kind of thoughts with someone in your small group or another believer in the church or a family member? Would you be able to share these kind of thoughts? In Psalm 77, David says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. I'm so troubled, I can't even speak. I say, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And my heart is diligent to search. But then this is his conclusion. Will the Lord spurn me forever and never again be favorable to me? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? These are thoughts that David is struggling with, wrestling with. Could you ever share those with somebody? If we're going to be able to really genuinely, authentically keep our eyes on Christ, we have to be able to share these kind of disappointment, confusion, questions with those that we trust. We need to be able to intermingle it with the Gospel truths. But what we're going to see here is ultimately these guys, their conversation came back around to hope, to help, to clarity. And you will find it very difficult to find help. You will find it very difficult to land on hope. You will find it very difficult to acquire clarity if you're just bottling all these thoughts up and you're, they're just bouncing off the, the inside walls of your head. You gotta share them with other people. Because this, the Lord ministers to us through people. The words of God are to be diligently incorporated into the fabric of our life. As it says in Deuteronomy, when we sit down, when we walk in the way, when we lay down at night, when we rise up. The Word of God, the truths of the Gospel, our own confessions, our struggles, we can't be afraid to share any of that. Now, if you're going to be a good conversation partner, this is important that if someone comes to you with this kind of a conversation, if they're going to be gutsy enough to share what they're struggling with, you need to be an edifying conversation partner. And just some tips that I could share with you that I've learned over the years. Um, one, d- don't be judging. Someone comes to you. Here's a good rule of thumb. Don't give them this face. <gasps> you know, that's not helpful. If they think, oh man, he, I'm the first one that's ever said this to him. Don't be judging. Be compassionate. Be loving. Here's another one. Don't be a gossip. If they're going to share this with you, treat them with the dignity to keep it between you and them. Okay, none of the, uh, you come up to someone, hey, did you hear? Hey, Pastor Ryan is, he's, he's really struggling with his face. Faith, his faith. Shh, shh, shh. Keep that, don't tell anyone. 
pray about him. Pray for him. He needs prayer. That's gossip. And we, we you know, we're so good at, at bending reality to fit our own perception. We'll share a prayer request with someone. We'll ask someone for advice. All of it just to get that information, that juicy bit of information out. Be someone that's trustworthy. And if someone comes to you and they're struggling, be there for them. Don't be judgy. Don't be a gossip. Don't be demeaning. Don't put them down. Oh, you're struggling with that. You know, I remember when I was 12, I struggled with that too. You know, don't... Listen... Oh, there's a lot of people in the world that have a lot worse than you. That's true. But I'm me. I'm not them. This is what I'm dealing with right now. And I need someone to come alongside. Um, Don't be preachy. This is a narrow landing strip to land on here as a good conversation partner. But don't be preachy. Uh, If I've learned anything in the last 20 years of marriage, I've learned that every conversation my wife has with me is not seeking a solution from me. Sometimes she just needs to talk and get it out. And I've learned that's good for me too. I just need to talk and get it out. Sometimes just getting it out and talking to someone about what I'm struggling with, I know, I know, what I'm, I know the answer even before I'm done with the end of the conversation, but I just needed somebody, I needed an ear to speak to. Um, but then also don't be passive. Don't be passive. Um, if they're going to be open and transparent, Without being preachy, bring it back around to Jesus. You can share it in your own experience. Say, hey, you know what? I remember going through that same thing, and it's hard. Can I share with you what happened with me? And now they know they're in the same boat as you. And maybe they'll have hope as you bring it back around to how Jesus helped you through that situation. So if we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus... We need to keep Jesus in our conversations. And as we continue through our Luke 24 blueprint here of how to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, I would say also, not just keep your eyes, um, not just keep Jesus in your conversation, but find Jesus in the Old Testament. As they're struggling with all these things, look what Jesus' response was in verse 25. In verse 25, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Notice in these verses where Jesus took them. First, he took, it says that He took them uh, to the prophets. He says, are you slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken there in verse 25 that would be a place we'd probably go if we wanted to teach someone about jesus from the old testament we would surely take them to the prophets right anyone here raise your hand if you'd say yeah i would take them to the prophets me am i on the only one raise your hand if you would do that too there's a few of you out there okay a few one of them's on our worship team that's good um i would take them to the prophets there's some prophecies that i would take them to but notice what else he did It says he took them to Moses, beginning with Moses in verse 27. That's the first five books. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So he took them to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and there he said, look, I was here. This is pointing to me. 
Do you see, you should have expected the Messiah to come and die and then go to glory because of what's written in the first five books of the Bible. And this is important. Not only that, it says, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So He took them to all the Scriptures that they had available to them at the time. Now we've got even more Scripture available to us. And I think that most believers are missing out on a rich well, a deep reservoir of information about Jesus by neglecting the Old Testament. But remember, we've got the New Testament as well, but again, it's information about Jesus. Don't treat the New Testament like the rules, the do's and the don'ts. The New Testament is not just what we go to to create a good doctrinal statement. All of Scripture, it's where we go to interact with Jesus. It's where we go to find out who this man is. It's where we go to shape our expectations of how Jesus is going to lead us in this life presently. And that's what the Scriptures are for. And that's what Jesus did with these men. And this is where we're going to be going. We introduced this concept in November. And this is going to be the overarching theme throughout this year. We're going to go through so many passages Old and New Testament, probably ones that you weren't expecting, that teach us something about Jesus. Notice what, um, uh, notice what He showed them. He showed them the necessity of glory through suffering, specifically as demonstrated by the Messiah. He says, um, was it, in verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory. And incidentally, that's the same pattern that He laid for us. This is why we keep our eyes on Him so intently. We follow the same trail that He blazed through suffering to glory. Remember last week when we, when we, uh, when we commissioned Zach, we went, one of the passages we went to was in Acts chapter 14 where Paul laid his hands on the elders and appointed elders but it says that he was exhorting them and saying, through many hardships and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. It's true for us. It was true for Jesus the Messiah. And when we go to Scripture, we see these realities and we're reminded of them frequently. While Jesus, while we see Jesus in living color in the Gospels and doctrine is very well articulated in the, in the epistles, most believers are missing the untapped resource of the Old Testament. And there are so many incredible allusions and connections made throughout the Old Testament to Jesus. We even see it in the Gospels. If you just turn the page once, you'll see... Okay, so in John chapter 1, at the end, we see a reference to uh, Jacob's ladder. And we see where he was... Uh, uh, Jacob was a man that was full of guile and yet God chose him and he saw the heavens ascending and descending on that ladder that stretched up to heaven. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 51. We've spoken about that. Turn the page again and you see Jesus referencing something in the Old Testament where He says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He references the Old Testament there. Turn the page again and we see Jesus uh, with the woman at the well where Jesus says, 
I can give you living water. That's a reference to Jeremiah. Every single page throughout the Gospels, again and again and again, you see some reference to the Old Testament where Jesus is taking truths of the Old Testament and bringing them to life before His listeners. And that's what our attempt is going to be this year. But you need to do this on your own. When you go to Scripture, you're not going for information. You're not going for necessarily instructions of do's and don'ts. You are going to spend time with Jesus. And as we continue on, we're going to see not only do we need to keep Jesus in our conversation and find Jesus in all of Scripture, including the Old Testament, but if we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, we need to hold Jesus in our hearts. Look at verse 28. We're going to see what this means. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Remember, Jesus is in His glorified body. He's not confined to this one dimension. He could travel in and out of the dimensions at will, and He did so here. And from their perspective, He vanished. They said to each other in verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road and while He opened to us the Scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us? As a coal that is cold, draws near to the fire. The embers are rekindled and glows once more with fervent heat. So too our hearts, when placed close in proximity to the fire of the glory of God, burn with a passion for Christ. This is what Sunday worship is for us. We come here once a week. We gather together and add fuel to the furnace that stokes the coals and fans the flame and ignites the heart anew for Christ. And we lose so much throughout the week, but then we come again and we stoke the fire. I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. If I say I will not make mention of Him nor speak His name anymore, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary weary with holding it in and I cannot. Those who have been greatly affected by the Word of God cannot hold it in. The fire cannot be smothered. Their hearts burn with passion for Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, for this reason, for the, talking about you've been raised with all these gospel truths, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. We must fervently have this heart of fire for God's Word, for God's Son, for God's glory. And when you ignore it, it starts to burn out. But when you feed it, when you fan it, fan it, it glows. You know this phrase, to hold Jesus in our hearts. So many people dismiss that. But that comes right from Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And when that fullness fills your heart, it burns. And we've got to maintain that. We've got to fan that. We've got to feed it. We cannot let it go out. If you're holding Jesus in your heart, that means one of the things that I see demonstrated in this passage in verse 21, going back to verse 21, it means that we don't lose hope. They had lost hope before Christ came along and fanned that flame of hope in their hearts once more. But it says we had hoped that He's the one to redeem Israel. For those of us that have the fire of God burning within our, hope, our hearts, we do not lose hope. No matter what. No matter what may happen, we hope. No matter what the world does around us, we hope. No matter who may disappoint us personally, we hope in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but if we're going to hold Jesus in our heart, it doesn't only mean being hopeful, it means having a heart that is quick to believe. This is one of the things He rebuked them. In verse 25, He said, You're foolish, you're slow of heart to believe. We're going to be quick in heart to believe. Quick to believe God's Word. When He says it, we're going to do it because we believe it to be true. We don't need to learn the hard way because we're holding Christ in our heart and we believe what He says. We're, we don't lose hope. We're quick to believe. And like these men, we long for more. Verse 29, they, they didn't know what was going on, but as He was opening Scripture and explaining it to them, they just knew they didn't want it to end. And they said, stay with us tonight. And so He did. So if we're going to keep the heart of our eyes on Jesus, we're going to keep Him in our conversation, we're going to find Him in God's Word, we're going to hold Jesus in our heart, and finally, as we see here in the conclusion, we're going to share Jesus with enthusiasm. Verse 32, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road and while He opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They shared Jesus with enthusiasm. And remember, this was seven miles from where they had originally started. They spent the day walking back, and then the evening grew late. They were just about ready to sit down to a meal, eat it, be full, and go to sleep. But all this happened, and they said, we've got to go back. They went back seven miles. Anyone ever walk from here to Bicknell? That's about seven miles, I believe. Now, can you imagine getting ready for bed? You're about ready to have your meal and you're so excited you cannot hold it in any longer. You've got to go all the way back and tell others about it. That night, they went all the way back and they shared. What did they do? Well, in verse 31, it was a result of spending time with Jesus. That's why they shared with such enthusiasm. When you really genuinely spend time with Jesus, you won't be able to contain it. It was a byproduct of opening Scripture we see in verse 32 because they had opened the Scripture, spent time with God, they couldn't hold it in. Think about your favorite TV show. Does anyone here? No one has to tell them. Just raise your hand if you have a favorite TV show. Anyone here have a favorite TV show? Okay, everyone's got something. Do you ever have a problem telling that to anybody? 
You, you ever like? Would you imagine taking an online class and thinking, "This is gonna, this is gonna help me learn how to share my favorite TV show with other people. It's gonna, it's gonna just kind of break the whole show down for me. So then, if they have any questions that I don't know how to answer, it'll give me all the right answers to the questions about this show. No, what? That's crazy. It's foolish. You just share it because you enjoy it. You share it because it's one of the things that's on your mind. If someone asks you, "Hey, what's a good TV show?" You could say, "Hey, this is the one. Why I enjoy it." I've experienced it, and I think you would enjoy it as well. And we see them doing the same thing. When we spend time with Jesus, when we open God's Word, it's just a regular byproduct as we share it with other people. And what we share is simply telling what happened to you. You do not have to have all the answers. You don't have to convince them of anything. That's not your job. The Holy Spirit can do that. All you need to do is just share with them what you experienced. And no one can argue with your experience. They may believe it, they may not, but you just need to share what happened to you. That's exactly what they did in verse 35. It says, Then they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Is Christ doing something to you, with you in your life? That's all you got to share. You don't need to convince them. You don't need to persuade them. Just share. And so we have uh, a blueprint of sorts here. And this is kind of a diving board. We're going to be diving off this passage and trying to trace the steps that Christ took them through the Pentateuch, through the prophets, through all the Scriptures to show them that He was there. We're going to do that this year. Uh, next week, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-18. through 18. If you want to turn there and start reading there this week. And we see many references just in that short passage to the Old Testament. But are you ready to fix the eyes of your heart on Jesus? We don't know what this year has in store for us. But we know what this has in store for us. We know that Jesus will be walking right alongside us if only we would have the eyes to see it. Christ opened their eyes and they saw that it was Him all along. Do we have the eyes to see that? Well, we need to hold them in our conversation. We need to hold them in our heart. We need to find them in Scripture. And we need to share them with enthusiasm. Let's end with a, a prayer in song that we would be able to set our hearts on Christ. Let's stand and sing.